And the science shows people who have more different types of plants in their diet, actually those who can get 30 different types in their diet per week, have better gut health than those who eat the same foods on repeat. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi friends, I hope you're well. I hope you've had a lovely Easter weekend. Certainly it was a nice long bank holiday here in the UK. And we've had some really lovely sunshine recently, which has been nice too. Um, So I have a fantastic episode for you today, all about gut health. But before we get started on that, I want to be, want to talk to you about something I've been using a lot recently that's really been helping me develop my metabolic flexibility even further. And if you follow me on Instagram over at Angela S. Foster, you've probably seen me Um, doing some reels and also on my stories talking about this device Lumen which you basically inhale and exhale so it measures your breathing and tells you whether you're burning carbs or fats or a combination of the two and so you can use this first thing in the morning to see if you're waking up in a fat burning state you can use it throughout the day to see how easily you transition back between burning carbs and fats and that's really the ultimate is that if you can burn carbs and fats on demand then you know that you're developing that uh, metabolic flexibility that we all desire and that is so correlated with longevity and health. And so actually I was moving into a consistent fat burning score of ones and twos pretty much all the time. And so then it was actually suggesting to me that I should be eating more carbohydrates and um, that would give me greater flexibility. And I've been testing that and it's actually been fueling my workouts much better. And so I definitely think we should be refueling really well anyway, particularly after strength training workouts, which I do but actually adding in a few more carbs has definitely given me a bit of an energy boost and I've been sharing that all over on my Instagram Angela S Foster so if you're not already following me there please do give me a follow and connect with me send me a DM let me know you're there I love saying hi uh, to people that follow my content and I do put a lot of daily content on there But if you're interested in having a look at Lumen for yourself as well and developing metabolic flexibility, then go and have a look. It really is a transformational device and it it tells you each day um, what proportion of carbs and fats and protein you should be eating depending on your score of metabolic flexibility. And after about two weeks, you actually get your own personal flex score. So it's very, very intuitive, very, very useful and very easy to do, very portable as well. You might have seen me posting actually about it when I took it with me to Morocco. Um, And you can get 10% off Lumen by using code Angela. All you need to do is go to bit.ly forward slash get Lumen. So that's bit.ly forward slash get lumen and that's g-e-t-l-u-m-e-n and use code angela for 10 percent off and then send me a message let me know how you're getting on with it or if you have any questions if i can help you develop that metabolic flexibility at all and the second thing i want to tell you about is we have literally only days to go until my female biohacker collective launches if you're interested in joining us for this transformational membership of women who are really interested in optimizing their health for higher performance and getting into some biohacking and meeting like-minded people who are doing the same, then I'm creating a brand new community and we have an incredible founding members offer. You can go and find out all of the details and literally just input your email address to let us know that you're interested and we will get back to you. And you just head over to bit.ly forward slash female hyphen biohacker. That is bit.ly forward slash female hyphen 
biohacker. You do need the hyphen. If you don't put that in, you're going to end up over in my Facebook group, which is great too. And in fact, you can join both of those. I do have a free Facebook community, which is bit.ly forward slash female biohacker. But if you're interested in the membership specifically, where we're going to be doing monthly challenges, we're going to have a biohacking book club. There's going to be monthly masterclasses with me and live Q&A with me and my team. Then you need to go to bit.ly forward slash female hyphen biohacker. So I would love to see you in there. But now on with today's show. So in today's episode, I am talking to Dr. Megan Rossi, also known as the Gut Health Doctor. If you're not already following her on Instagram, definitely recommend that you do so. She is considered one of the most influential gut health specialists internationally. She's a practicing dietitian and nutritionist and has been for the last decade with an award-winning PhD in gut health. And she's also a leading research fellow at King's College London, where she's investigating nutrition-based therapies in gut health, including pre and probiotics, dietary fibers, plant-based diversity, the low FODMAT diet and food additives. And she has so much knowledge. The thing I love about Dr. Megan as well is she completely debunks all of the myths and we talk about some crazy things on this episode including like whether coffee really does have mold and you need to be going and buying mold free coffee Um, we also talk about whether lectins are an issue for most people and a whole host of other things. You're going to learn all about how to really increase your microbial diversity, which is key, and how to enhance good gut health and really what matters and what doesn't, what influences things like um, asthma and eczema and so much more. So without further delay, let me introduce you to Dr. Megan. She also has an incredible book that I've been reading with some delicious recipes that we've been incorporating at home. Um, It's called Eat more live well. And so I highly recommend you go and check that out and her other books over on Amazon or in any good bookshop. I got mine in Waterstones. Um, It's a fantastic read. And as I say, it has so many easy, healthy, gut boosting recipes. But now let me introduce you to the lovely Dr. Megan Rossi. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Megan Rossi. I'm just so excited. I've been revisiting your book this morning, your latest one, and it's just so inspiring and just how healthy and good plants are for us, Megan. Um, First of all, a very warm welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so exciting. I think a really good place to start because I think you make everything look so simple and it's so accessible for people is can you break down your concept of the diversity diet? Because I I love this idea of us being inclusive and adding more things in rather than trying to take things out. Yeah, so I guess the, the premise of the diet really came from this wealth of scientific evidence about how we should be eating to not only nourish the human cells in our body, but the trillions of microorganisms like the bacteria that you know the science is discovering does so much for us in terms of things like supporting our mental health, our heart health, our skin health. So it's about translating that hard science into a very practical way of eating, which is underpinned by five key principles. So the first one is about enjoying mostly plants, but that doesn't necessarily mean only plants. I think that's an important principle because we tend to be extremists. So we either go 100% plants Mm -hmm. only or we go loads and loads of meat where 
you know, the science is showing that kind of where we sit in, in the middle of that is kind of the ideal where most of our diet is plants. But hey, if you want to add some animal products on top of that, because some of them can be really good sources of nutrition, like oily fish, it's a great source of omega-3, which is really important for our, our gut microbes as well as our mental health. Um, whatever you add on top of those plants is completely up to you. So first one, it's mostly plants. The second principle is diversity all the way. And this, I guess, is a new uh, understanding, again, coming from the gut microbiome research so about those bacteria, which highlights that actually our bacteria like as many different types of plants. And I think for a lot of busy people, we tend to just have it by. So we'll buy kind of the same fruit and veg on repeat, you know, the same grains, um, you know, and probably forget about things like legumes and, you know, nuts and seeds. So I talk about this, um, these group of plants called the super six, and it's just a six plant-based food category. So for anyone listening, it's worth thinking about your own diet and say, oh, do I actually include something from all six plant-based food groups, you know, most days? So it's the whole grains, the nuts and seeds, fruit, veg, legumes. So they're the beans and pulses and herbs and spices. And the science shows people who have more different types of plants in their diet, actually those who can get 30 different types in their diet per week have better gut health than those who eat the same foods on repeat. So that's the second principle, diversity all the way. The third one is around whole, not refined. And this um, is something that I think, you know, is an important one to talk about because this trend to go vegan, to go 100% plant-based is really coming hard and fast. And a lot of the fast food, um, you know, restaurants are now having these, you know, vegan sausage rolls and vegan burgers and things like that. And there's a myth out there that these are actually healthier uh, to eat um, than the meat containing alternatives. Um, but what we're seeing is that through that processing, actually we lose a lot of that plant nutrition. So when we talk about enjoying mostly plants, it's actually having whole plants where you can uh, versus these kind of ultra processed soy burgers. So in the book, I have all these recipes of, you know, they take 10 minutes to make, you know, um, plant-based burgers that you can put in the freezer. And then if you're having something like a barbecue, you can whip them out and defrost them. So it's about trying to have these, these whole foods wherever you can. Uh, the fourth principle is about um, ensuring that you think about the kind of community feel um, of food. So it's about tasting, pausing and enjoying. And I think this is lost in a lot of kind of these, you know, the dieting world where people just think food as just a health um, element to it. But actually we know that food should be enjoyed. You know, if we have pleasure in food, actually the studies have shown we're more likely to live longer um, and able to kind of stick to healthier eating principles. So it's about saying, you know what, um, you can absolutely, you know, enjoy those favorite foods. And it's just about being mindful with how, you know, you're eating, um, you know, those sorts of treat foods. And then the fifth and final principle is thinking about what you're including versus excluding. So what you're adding in, not taking out and that you know feeds into the to the concept that yeah you know enjoy your favorite foods but hey why don't you add plants along it so if you're you know one of your favorite meals is a bolognese you know a meat-based bolognese I'm never going to say you can't have that. What I'm going to say is, hey, why don't you add in um, extra things like lentils and some frozen veg to really up the amount of plants that you're getting from that. And actually that attitude of thinking about what you add into your diet versus what you cut out, again, helps with compliance in terms of longer um, periods where you can actually stick and start to enjoy this way of eating, which, you know, the, the science shows you actually your taste buds adapt to eating more plants and then you start to crave them as well. So if anyone's like, Ugh, I don't 
don't like plants, um, your taste buds do evolve and all sorts about how you cook with them, what flavors you work with to really up um, kind of that, that mouth feel and, and that desirability. So I want to tell you about a probiotic that I've been taking recently called P3OM by my friends over at Bioptimizers that has a certain type of lactobacillus, it's lactobacillus plantarum, that actually has been shown in recent scientific literature to enhance your body's own production of folate. So we all know that folate is really important for a process in the body known as methylation. But normally we think about where can we get folate from our food or from supplementation. And what's been found in recent research led by Dr. Cara Fitzgerald is that actually if we use certain probiotic bacteria then our microbiome can actually produce more folate for us which is very very cool and that particular probiotic is in the p3om by bioptimizers and that's one of the reasons that i take it every day it's also because it has been really improving the health of my gut reducing things like gas and bloating it increases mental clarity and focus and it also boosts amino acid absorption because it helps convert protein into usable amino acids that feed your brain gut and muscles and as you know i am a big fan of incorporating enough protein in our nutrition and diet plans because it helps to stimulate muscle protein synthesis it gives us those very important amino acids which actually contribute to things like mental focus and clarity and probiotic p3om by bioptimizers helps you do all of that it's nothing short of amazing and you can get 10 percent off that probiotic by heading over to bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela and entering code Angela 10 at checkout. That is bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela and just enter code Angela 10 at checkout. You'll get 10% off probiotic P3OM and also the other products that I love by them, the blood sugar breakthrough, which is incredible for helping you regulate your blood sugar, particularly after a high carb meal. Um, the magnesium breakthrough that I take every day and really helps me to sleep, but actually magnesium is about so much more than that. Uh, because it's used in so many processes in the body and i'm so excited to say that now their delicious tasting chocolate protein powder that you've probably seen me posting about on instagram is also now available in the uk and that is their protein breakthrough so you can go and grab a cool 10 percent off all of those over at bioptimizers.com forward slash angela and entering code angela 10 at checkout now let's get back to the show yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you end up uh, craving what you eat, actually. So the, the more healthy food you eat, the healthier you want to eat, right? And, and it's the same with junk food. And you make it so easy. I mean, the recipes are absolutely delicious in the book and they're flexible. That's what I like about it. They're not, um, you know, it's a bit like, like some of them, you can have a wrap, for example. It's not like you've deliberately excluded and gone, right, we must be gluten-free. And it's not restrictive. And that's what I like about the approach. Um, you also make it very simple. And I think this is really interesting for listeners where you measure out the, the portion so people can see, am I going to get my full 30? And I was delighted when you put coffee in there as one, uh, as one and, and things like cashew nuts. But you kind of moderate the amount in terms of how many points that counts for. Can you explain a bit like that? Because I know that's going to be music to many people's ears, uh, hearing that the they can include coffee, albeit at a lower amount. How does this point system work? So I think it's really useful for people. Yeah, so this came off the back of the research, which showed those who ate at least 30 different types of plants per week had better gut health. So um, as I as I said at the start, the goal is to try to get at least 30 different types of plants. I came up with a point system because, you know, 
it helps us think, um, you know, when we can add things up and I think it can come, can come across as quite a fun game to have either in the office or at home where people are like, Oh, how many plant points did you have today? So each individual plant is given a, a point. So if you have 10 strawberries versus two strawberries, you, you get just one point from it. So it's about encouraging that diversity. So, Hey, instead of just having all your fruit from strawberries, why don't you also have an apple and a banana and some melon? So you get four points for every different type of plant that you have. Um, and the same thing with legumes. So instead of just having chickpeas, Hey, why don't you have uh, butter beans to get an extra point as well as kidney beans for an extra point. And um, so again, it's just encouraging people to try, try, diversify their diet wherever they can. In terms of things like your coffee, your olive oil, and your herbs and spices. Now, we also know these are really beneficial types of plants for, um, for our body, but we typically have a lot less of them. So I've given them a quarter of a point. Um, so that's where, you know, the portion uh, kind of can come into it. Oh, I've got you. Okay. So it comes down more to portion. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, with vegetables, they count as long as we're not juicing them. And I was just curious with this, because I know, for example, like um, I talk a lot, a lot about longevity and some of these are, contain these saturation enhancing compounds that activate the longevity genes. And, you know, you'll be familiar with the cert food diet where the juicing is actually a key element of that. Is this because where you're when you're not counting juices, it's because we're looking more at fiber as opposed to micronutrient on, on that counting scale? Yeah. So it, it's a combination of both, right? So, you know, when we do juice, absolutely, we can get slightly more accessibility of certain types, but actually we do lose a lot of the nutrition that feeds the bacteria that's attached to the fiber. So when we are juicing, we're, we're losing not only the dietary fiber, but we do lose some of the um, types of phytochemicals, so plant chemicals that are packaged within the fiber cells. So okay. when we are eating the whole plants, what happens is that human cells can't digest fiber. And um, that's one of the magical things about dietary fiber is that it's useless to human cells. It's so benefit benefit is to feed the gut bacteria. So they're the unique ones with the enzymes to break down dietary fiber. So when we're eating dietary fiber, the bacteria break it down. And in doing so, they can also then access um, some of these kind of packaged up uh, phytochemicals and they manipulate them, enabling them to be absorbed and then have health benefits throughout the body. Um, so that's why, yeah, when I talk about the, um, you know, the plant point system, that is one of the, you know, the diversity diet principles about having the whole not refined. So enjoying all of the health benefits uh, that come from those plants. Absolutely though, if, if you enjoy juicing, um, I'm not saying don't do it, uh, but we, we know that we're probably not getting the full nutrition that we could um, if we are re relying just on juices uh, mm. for vegetables. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I always think if you can eat it in its whole food state, right, as nature intended, uh, that's the way. And as we were talking before the show, weren't we, about your amazing, I've got it in front of me, it's just like the apple pharmacy. I just think it's brilliant in the book, like how much the humble apple contains right through to like enhancing, you know, neurotransmitters like GABA and dopamine and things like this is just amazing. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, I, I drew that diagram really, I guess, 
to highlight to people just how um, impressive the nutrition profile of, you know, the humble apple is. And if we extrapolate that out to pears and bananas, et cetera, they all have their own unique synergy of different types of chemicals. So that image there, it shows, you know, the 300 different um, plant chemicals within the apple, plus, you know, the millions of bacteria that we find within each and every apple. So it's, again, just getting people to think differently um, about, you know, these, these fruits that people may be like, oh, it's a bit boring. I'm, you know, that doesn't really have any health benefits. It's kind of rekindling their appreciation for mother nature. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. And also I think the other thing we, you and I were chatting about is, you know, just for women, how important this is, because there's a lot on social media at the moment and particularly, you know, I'm really, um, keen to kind of make people aware of the differences between men and women, right? We are definitely not small men. And I think we have different hormones like excess estrogen sometimes that we need to detoxify. And there's a lot of women kind of trying things like very restrictive ketogenic diets or going on even the carnivore diet, which is really excluding a lot of the fiber that I think we need to be able to detoxify uh, properly. And I was wondering if you could just kind of elaborate a little bit on that for listeners, because I think it's such an important topic area. Yeah, absolutely. So in the book, I talk about the different, I guess, connections. So I talk about the gut hormone connection. I talk about the gut brain connection, the gut skin connection, and under, and as well as the gut metabolism uh, connection. And under the gut hormone connection, I, I share a study, um, which I think is a really important one for people going through the menopause, um, where it looked at um, people who added in extra plants to their diet um, compared to those who just continued on the diet they were having. And those who added in, you know, basing their diet around plants actually had a 17% reduction in hot flushes um, in the, and these women were going through menopause. And I certainly see that, you know, in my own clinic mm -hmm. where uh, people start to nourish their gut bacteria, in turn, some of their hormones start to kind of rebalance. And we absolutely know that our gut bacteria are really important in estrogen recycling. Um, so they contain this enzyme, which helps, um, kind of recycle that estrogen throughout the body. Uh, so we do see quite a lot of um, hormone dysregulation, you know, conditions like PCOS and endometriosis actually linked uh, with different gut bacteria profiles. So the research needs to, I guess, uncover that understanding a little bit more um, in terms of the specifics. But at the moment, my advice absolutely for people who are struggling with hormones is to think about how they can add in extra plants. Again, doesn't necessarily mean only plants. You know, me personally, I don't eat only plants because things like fermented dairy and the oily fish, I think are such uh, great sources of nutrition. Although I do, of course, understand those who want to go 100% plant-based for cultural and animal cruelty and religious reasons, et cetera, um, environmental reasons. Uh, but in terms of health, going 100% vegan, according to the scientific literature, doesn't mean you're any healthier. Mm, yeah. And I think it's very difficult to do, right, without any supplementation at all, which is always a big kind of question mark for me, because I think actually we, did, we didn't have supplements ancestrally. So we had to get everything from our food. Yeah. I mean, people do need to be more savvy with their nutrition if they are cutting out some of these food groups. Um, mm. So again, I talk about them in the book. So things like, you know, choline, uh, zinc, iron, B12, selenium, those are some of the key ones, calcium, iron, uh, that people need to just be a little bit more savvier with. Yeah. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And you break, as you say, you break it all down in, in the book. Um, the other thing you do is I love the way you break down the phytochemicals and like the antioxidants, the hormones, the barrier warriors. Um, that was that's all really, really helpful for people because I think people know like women often, you know, they'll be listening and thinking, well, I know that when I have cranberry juice, it helps to protect me against urinary tract infections. But I didn't really understand why. And uh, it's quite interesting. I, th- I wonder if you could just touch on that for people about these barrier warriors that can help support your gut and your immune system yeah so you know when we talk about the phytochemicals they are those magical plant chemicals that um most of which pharmaceutical world haven't been able to um make it and put into pills uh so there's you know so much that mother nature essentially has hanging over us and it explains things why you know for for so long we've seen those um that you know, the health benefits of cranberries in terms of, um, you know, reducing the risk of urinary tract infections. And we know that cranberries have these specific types of um, phytochemicals in it, which help kind of protect uh, the urinary tract in terms of preventing the um, the different microorganisms from kind of attaching to the wall and then causing the irritation, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, we know that a lot of these uh, phytochemicals also have these antioxidant powers. So we're constantly exposed to the oxidative stress, um, you know, whether it's things like the pollution or just our own physical stress that we inflict on ourselves. And we know that a lot of these plant um, plant chemicals can also help kind of, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, can kind of mute that fire instead of adding fuel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, these antioxidants kind of prevent it from getting out of control. Yeah, yes, it makes so much sense. And actually, you talk as well about how to pair foods and how to enhance the bioavailability, which I think is really helpful as well. You know, things like adding black pepper when you're making a curry with the curcumin from turmeric. And and also, I think you're mentioning some fats alongside lycopene, for example, help to increase the absorption. Because that was interesting for me, all the area on skin health as well, because I think that's really relevant for a lot of women in particular, um, whether they have hormonal issues or whether they're looking at kind of anti-aging these plants really have the power to protect us against oxidative stress and aging. Yeah. I mean, there's some really great studies out there, again, showing how adding in loads of these, these types of plants. There was one study I talk about, um, particularly the, the polyphenols, so the plant chemicals from cocoa, uh, where they actually gave these to people um, versus a placebo. So they got a fake intervention and actually showed, I think it was 24 weeks having these high dose uh, plant chemicals actually significantly reduced the appearance of things like wrinkles um, versus the placebo, the fake intervention. So, you know, there is actually, you know, some hard scientific studies to show that adding more plants in you know can have measurable impacts um in our you know our skin health as well in fact we we know that we've got billions of bacteria that live on our skin kind of like a second skin and these are really important in things like um skin aging but also in things like skin barrier protection so anyone who's suffering with things like eczema there's some really interesting studies looking at ways they can intervene on the skin microbiome so the skin bacteria um, to help uh, kind of protect and treat those sorts of skin conditions so definitely a watch this space and is that um, topical things that you can in- intervene with or is this actually optimizing the microbiome to support the skin yeah, so it's looking at the topical microbiome, so the skin microbiome. Um, one of the studies actually did a skin um, microbiome transplant. So uh, 
this might be getting too much in the science, but it's a really exciting intensive. Um, they essentially wiped the micro profile from people without eczema and transplanted it onto the skin of people with eczema and did it obviously in a very controlled, uh, systematic way. Um, and the pilot data showed that actually that was able to benefit um, some of the people as, as in treating the eczema. Um, so they're now rolling that out to larger studies to have a look at the exact mechanisms of that. Um, so it's still very much in the research stages, but I do predict in the next five or so years, there will be, uh, you know, probably prescribed topical treatments that target enhance um, the skin microbiome to facilitate kind of the, the management of that inflammatory uh, skin condition. How interesting. And what have you found um, in terms of your own experience and in your practice with eczema, um, things that can help or some no-nos for people? Because it's it's a really it's a really tricky area actually mm. to bring under control eczema, isn't it? And often if you speak to a dermatologist, they'll be like, nope, nope, has absolutely nothing with what to do with what you're eating at all. And I'm just curious where, what you found in your own practice. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting one. Um, I certainly there is really good evidence that if you are pregnant, uh, and have a family history of eczema, whether it's from dad's side or mum's side, that taking a specific probiotic throughout your pregnancy and for six months of Bub's life actually reduces Bub's risk of getting eczema by about 50%. So there's really strong evidence showing there is that microbial link there. Mm -hmm. However, the studies that have gone um, and given people specific probiotics when they already have eczema haven't proven um, to, to have a benefit. So it's, it's a kind of a, a tricky stage where we're not quite sure whether we just haven't gotten the right probiotic to treat eczema at the moment or whether actually it's to the immune system's already regulated so much so that the bacteria can't override that. Um, in my own clinic, I certainly see um, that stress uh, is probably one of the key um, factors. Uh, so it's about working, I guess, the lifestyle factor. And I would say, um, you know, there may be a small population where, where you know, um, diet has a really remarkable impact, but I would say, yes, optimizing the diet is really important to adding more plants in. Um, but it, it's certainly in most cases where it's bad eczema isn't enough to get the eczema under control. Um, and again, I think we just don't know enough at the moment about, you know, why that is, why there's a subset of people that might really have that transformative effect. Whereas other people, uh, it doesn't seem to, you know, change. Um, so I think, you know, anyone who's listening to who is struggling and, you know, I would definitely recommend trying to add in, you know, follow the diversity diet for um, eight weeks, see how it goes. It might have a benefit because it has for some, but I don't want people to be, um, to have these hopes that's going to completely cure uh, their eczema because that's just not what the science shows at the moment. It is much more deeply regulated than that. Mm. It's really interesting because I've been monitoring it with my own daughter. Actually, she has not not bad, but a little bit of eczema, and it yeah. comes and goes. And you know, yes, fine. You go on holiday and you go in the sun, and it seems to have some improvement. But then you also on holiday, and what I've noticed through tracking really closely is that stress plays a huge part. If she's really, you know, under pressure at school, or there's something going on, you know, there's exams, those types of things, there'll be a flare up. Whereas when she's completely relaxed, you know, we may not have gone abroad; we're just at home. She's eating the same things her eczema kind of just like where did it go it's amazing to see and i think we underestimate don't we the, the impact that stress has 
Absolutely. I mean, stress is such a big one, um, you know, for, for any inflammatory condition, right. As well as things like gut symptoms, we know that stress, you know, irrespective of diet can have, can be the main trigger of gut symptoms. Um, Mm. of course that's not the case for everyone. And we also know, you know, through some of the studies that the bacteria nourishing them can actually help with some, you know, mental, mental health conditions. Um, so, you know, it does work both ways. Mm. And also the other thing that's really interesting, actually, when we're on that, talking about stress and, and the microbiome is, uh, I don't know if you've been using the uh, biocidin protocol at all by biobotanicals, but when I've used that with someone with eczema, so I had someone who actually, her skin was so red and inflamed, it was constantly cracking open, she's severe eczema. That seemed to really, really moderate it. She's like, it's changed my life, even though it's not completely gone. And I think that a lot of that is because those botanicals are not just containing, you know, things like oregano and antibacterial and antimicrobials and putting the right um, things back into the microbiome, but they also contain adaptogens in terms of the blends that really support that adrenal function. So you're kind of targeting stress in the gut at the same time. And I, I'm sure that's partly why it's, it's so powerful in the way it operates. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess for me, I'm like, well, I want to see a human study first before, <laughs> before I'm going to recommend it, but I know, you know, everyone's different and people can be quite, you know, desperate when it, it changes their life so much. So, um, yeah, completely understand that. Yeah, no, there's some interesting white papers um, on it. On the one thing I did want to talk to you actually about is gluten. So, so you know, some gut health doctors are very, very anti-gluten. Uh, it's not something that you exclude. You're quite an advocate of including whole grains in your diet. Can you just explain in that in terms of your research and, and where you come out on that? Yeah. So in terms of gluten, we know it's a protein, which is found in wheat, barley, and rye. Um, And in terms of, I guess, the human studies that unless you have celiac disease, which is about 1%, or you have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is an intolerance to gluten, which the the stats suggest is anywhere between three to 6% of the population. Those people aside, you know, people who include gluten in their diet actually seem to have be a more diverse, have a more diverse range of gut bacteria than those who restrict it unnecessarily. Um, and that's not to say that I love gluten. I think we should be loading our plates with gluten. But what we do see um, is that people who are cutting out gluten, um, you know, typically don't have as many of the whole grains. And a lot of these gluten-free foods actually contain less fiber, you know, more fats um, and are more ultra processed. So we need to be careful that if we are cutting something out of our diet, we need to think what we're filling it back in with and then whether we're then not getting enough of those super six, i.e., you know, the whole grains, the nuts and seeds, et cetera. So, um, the the evidence around yeah gluten being inflammatory outside of those two conditions I spoke to uh, is actually minimal. I mean, I'm not aware of any clinical trial in humans where they've actually shown uh, that having gluten can be inflammatory. In fact, some of the studies in people with um, irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, they've done these blinded studies where they've given people gluten in these, they made breakfast bars essentially. And the other group got fructans, which is a type of FODMAP in these breakfast bars. And they crossed the patients over, but they didn't tell them which arm they were having. And when they had the um, gluten arm, they didn't get symptoms. When they had the fructan arm, they did get symptoms like altered poops, bloating, et cetera. So actually in the IBS population, what we believe 
the the component that people typically react to in things like wheat is the fructan component, which is a type of carbohydrate, and not the gluten component. Um, so we need to do these really mechanistic types of studies to understand versus people who have issues maybe with gluten automatically go, oh, um, sorry, people who have issues with wheat automatically go, oh, it must be gluten. Because actually there's many different things within wheat that people might not be tolerating very well. Um, mm. So that's kind of, you know, essentially my, my view, unless there's human clinical trials that are suggesting it can be inflammatory um, until that day, I'm saying absolutely fine to include. Again, though, we don't want to just be having gluten containing grains. You know, there's buckwheat, quinoa, this, you know, millet, so many other types of, of grains that we should be including. So it's about that diversification of our grains as well um, in order to get the optimal health. Yeah, it comes back to that key that key um, principle. What are there? Um, what about soy? Because this is another one. And in terms of things like phytoestrogens and things, I feel like from my perspective, soy just seems so heavily farmed. Uh, that would be my biggest concern around it. Um, what are your feelings on that, and whether it's right for certain groups of women and not others, or? Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one. I, I guess there is that environmental impact um, of, of soy, but also I think it's worth, you know, looking at what the human studies have shown. And I, and I think overall they've shown things um, like people who include things like soy tofu in their diet, soybeans in their diet actually have a lower risk of, of developing breast cancer. Um, and although phytoestrogens and estrogen do have some similarities, they do still work slightly differently in the body. Um, so again, it comes down to, uh, you know, I always say looking at the human, you know, clinical trials and um, so far, you know, they've said that actually including um, the phytoestrogens from whole soy products, like the whole uh, soybeans, edamame beans are delicious, mm. um, actually, you know, has health benefits. Yeah. And as you say, it's the whole foods, right? So you're talking there about the soybean or fermented soy, which was how it was designed to eat, as opposed to soy protein isolate in processed foods, where it's just been kind of extracted, which is, I think, or soy lattes, which is how a lot of people have been consuming it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, coming back to where you can having having the whole foods, I think, um, is, is going to be the kind of the best way to optimize your health. I know it's not always, you know, practical, um, but you'd be surprised uh, that how accessible the whole form of a lot of these foods are at your local supermarkets. It's just going down the aisles um, that maybe you used to kind of skip. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And just opening your mind, which you've done in the book with such lovely recipes, uh, actually, I think to open people's minds to, you know, a whole host of foods that they can start eating. Um, what would you say are, are there any big no-nos in terms of optimizing the health of our guts that you think people should be aware of? Yeah. I mean, one of the, the common questions people ask me is things like food additives and, um, and artificial sweeteners, et cetera. And actually my team at King's, um, where I work as a research fellow, is actually looking at an intervention at the moment, looking at specific food additives um, based on pilot studies suggesting they may have a negative effect um, on some people's guts, particularly those who are genetically susceptible to having gut issues like inflammatory bowel disease. Um, so I don't certainly want to scare people because the studies are underway and we need to understand more about the details. Um, but again, it just comes back to that principle of trying to have the whole version versus the ultra processed version of these foods, because we know that, um, 
although convenient, a lot of these kind of vegan burgers and, and um, even some of the, you know, the milk alternatives, uh, the plant-based alternatives do actually have a lot of food additives in it to achieve that mouthfeel that perhaps the animal protein used to achieve. So we just need to be quite cautious about these substitutes uh, and making sure we're not necessarily loading up our diet with loads of these food additives. Um, because although the food additive world, there's over 400, um, obviously it was well regulated. Um, a lot of that science was done before we understood about the importance of our gut microbiome. So it looked at the impact on human cells, um, but it didn't look at the impact on our gut microbiome. So that's why a lot of the food additives um, are now being retested uh, by the European Food Safety Authority to have a look at how that's starting to impact our gut microbiome. Uh, so that's kind of some of the research that our, we're doing at King's to kind of validate that. Uh, so it's just worth, I think, keeping in our mind where we can is, again, having the whole um, verse processed versions. Yeah, that's interesting because also when you look at something like the difference between, well, actually like bread that's made to be longer life or wraps, they put these kind of, I don't know, they it's like certain things in them that you would not recognize. They're such long names. Um, is there any ad, uh, evidence that those can affect your um, the health of your gut microbiome? Because that's always concerned me just to get that consistency, right, to roll a wrap. Whereas there are other companies, I think it's Piadina that I love, that is just a wrap with just olive oil and salt. There's nothing else with it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just curious, is there anything there that's showing so up? So there's some of the additives, um, right. the fatty acid category that you're talking about, the esters, uh, that we're also looking at. Um, so there's no hard evidence that I would then recommend no one to have them. Um, but I guess in, you know, in my own diet and my family's diet, um, you know, I, I, we try to limit them essentially. Uh, although, yeah. you know, appreciating convenience is an important one. Um, so, you know, again, that's where I developed the recipes in the book to be the ones that you can quickly make as alternatives, uh, versus making people, you know, for example, like cashew milk, you know, squeezing out the the cashews soaking them for hours and hours you know i literally just recommend people get the cashews blend them up and make the milk that way and it can be really creamy and uh, when you get all the nutrition so yeah i think it's it's just about quick hacks so you can achieve the health benefits of these whole foods um without you know having to quit your job and spend all day in the kitchen <laughs> yeah exactly which no one has time to do anymore um Okay. And then in terms of, I guess the last question is in terms of the getting to 30, because I think this is a fantastic goal for people to do, um, when they sort of hit their 30 different plants, I know we're looking at diversity, but could they then just sort of follow those 30 every week? Or should you always be trying to like mix new things in? What, what have you found there? Yeah, look, it depends where people start. Um, so the, me the menu plans in the book, actually, if they follow that to a T, they'll be getting like 50 plant points each and every week. Um, it's a lot easier than you think. So instead of just getting your chickpeas, you get the three bean mix. Instead of just getting your pumpkin seeds, you get the, you know, the four seed mix. Um, so where you can, don't let 30 kind of be your barrier push on through that. I reckon, I recommend it was just that that study showed people who ate at least 30. Um, but I'm a big advocate for trying to get in as many as you can. But again, it comes down to practicality. So if you're only at, you know, 10 times, I'm not going to say go to 50 because that, you know, that's not realistic for you, but Hey, if you're at 25, 
I'm going to say, yeah, why don't you try go to 35 or just every week for the next three months, add an extra plant in. Um, and then, you know, it, it, people do get it, you know, you end up getting excited about it and it's less of a chore and you'll be at the, you know, grocery store and you're like, oh my God, look, I haven't tried that, you know, for three months, let me try it. Because not only of the health benefits, but the flavor that adding in diverse ranges really does adapt to, to your taste buds. And have you found people get gassy when they first start it if they haven't been eating a lot of plants? Like she, for someone who hasn't been, maybe should they like maybe they've just come off the carnivore or the keto diet? Do you think they should build up slowly? Yes. So I talk about this in the book because it's a really important one uh, to tackle. Where I don't want people uh, to be put off on adding more plants in because they get things like extra gas or tummy cramps and things like that. So I do have a sensitive gut menu plan in the book where it helps people ease their gut into having more plants if they're not used to having plants or if they've got something like irritable bowel syndrome or these functional gut disorders where they've got a very sensitive gut. Again, I've not met a gut who can't tolerate things like legumes, so beans and pulses, despite most people with sensitive guts coming to me initially in clinic saying, I can't tolerate it. It's about going slow and steady um, because your gut is amazing at adapting uh, to these fibers and absorbing the gas that naturally gets produced when our bacteria break down fibers. Um, so it is absolutely possible um, to, to include loads of plants in your diet, but it's about going slow and steady if you've got more of a sensitive gut and, and also working on the relaxation. So essentially I talk about in the book, but there's two things you need. Um, you need the bacteria that adapted to having the right enzymes to efficiently break down that fiber, which takes time. So that's why you go slow and steady. But the second thing you need is a relaxed gut lining um, because what happens when our bacteria produce the gas, when they eat fiber, they um, the fiber, sorry, the gas either has to come out the back end go through your gut lining and you actually breathe it out. That's how breath tests work. Or it gets trapped in your gut if you've got a really kind of um, stressed gut lining. So you need to make sure your gut lining's relaxed so that gas can kind of freely come out. We breathe most of it out instead of, you know, getting loads of gas or it getting cramped and trapped in your tummy. And to relax that gut, it's all about um, working on that gut brain axis. And again, I, I talk mm. more about strategies to achieve that, you know, five minutes a day to relax that gut brain axis. So it's kind of those two, two pronged approach to really, um, I guess, enjoy more plants without some of the symptoms that people can, can get. Yeah, I love that. I love the way you talk about the mindful eating. I think it's so important and just relaxing as well. What, what have you found then with things like lectins and oxalates? Are you saying that a lot of the time actually it's just building up or do you think there's a there's a tolerance with people? Yeah, actually, I just did a post on lectins um, on social media and I know there's been a lot of fear attached to lectins, but actually um, if we are preparing our foods correctly, like, you know, having cooked legumes, um, uh, then actually the amount of uh, lectins in these foods is so minimal uh, that, you know, it's not going to have that toxic effect um, at all. In fact, a lot of um, animal and test tube studies coming out are starting to look at the antioxidant benefits of lectins um, mm. in small quantities. So actually we think that perhaps having small amounts of things like lectins um, may actually have health benefits. So it, for me, it always comes back to checking the human studies and human studies have clearly shown in millions of people, those who add more plants into their diet, including those ones with, you know, small amounts of lectins actually have better, um, not overall gut health, not just gut health, but also longevity. Um, 
And I know there were some uh, people who were kind of demonizing leptins and plant foods, but there has not been one human clinical trial where it's shown that having lectins in, you know, normal amounts on a plant-based diet has negative impacts. There was one, you know, study that showed um, people who ate raw legumes, uh, the, the legumes weren't cooked properly. Um, they actually had toxic toxic levels of lectins um, in, in their diet. And then they went to hospital, but that was like an acute, uh, I think it was at some cafeteria. And that was the only case of that uh, occurring. And that's kind of where that diet came from. But we need to think about the millions of people who've been on, you know, having loads of plants, which include, mm. you know, the safe level of lectins and, and thinking that actually challenging our body with some of these types of plant chemicals actually may be the how some of them have their benefit. Um, so, yeah, I think, again, it's it's an exciting area and it's worth always thinking back to what has most of the human studies said because we're always going to get kind of these um, the people who might recommend kind of slightly dodgier diets, I would say, um, based on maybe a test tube study or, you know, uh, some, some evidence that's not that strong. And it can confuse a lot of people. And I certainly see people in clinic who are avoiding legumes because they they've heard they're high in lectins and, you know, a paper published just a couple of weeks ago showed that actually adding more legumes into your diet can increase your lifespan by like two years. Um, and actually legumes had had the kind of the biggest bang for your buck compared to the other plant foods and even versus reducing meat. So it's important, I think, to think about the broad, the whole body of evidence versus fixating on individual parts. Yeah, I agree. And also, I mean, they're so tasty. They're a great source of fiber and protein and like and prepared nicely. What about things like foods that are high in oxalates? Yeah, it's another one people get a bit scared of, isn't it? Yeah. So we know that um, oxalates in certain foods, you know, may reduce the calcium uh, absorption a little bit and even iron and things like that. Um, but if you're having a very varied diet, you don't necessarily need to fixate on oxalates again, unless you've got kidney issues um, where, where you're Body, your kidneys aren't able to kind of filtrate. And in those scenarios, we do medically recommend people go on a lower oxalate diet for short periods of time, but also we look at the L elements of their diet. Um, but for the average person, if you're getting in that diversity, you know, having some of these, we call them anti-nutrients, um, actually, you know, it certainly is, is not attached to any negative health benefits. In fact, I might um, share the the post I did on anti-nutrients uh, mm. with your listeners um, just so they can get, I guess, a more whole holistic kind of version of where these uh, ideas have come from and what the actual body of evidence says about each of the different types of anti anti-nutrients, which sounds scary. I get it. Uh, but certainly the science is showing not, I mean, there's, you know, things like, um, uh, trying to add, you know, vitamin C to the non-heme iron in plants to really maximize their absorption. So there's a few kind of tricks and, um, ways to kind of up the absorption, um, kind of limiting those kind of anti, um, absorptive effects of some anti-nutrients. But again, coming back to the fact that actually some of these anti-nutrients actually may have health benefits when, you know, included in kind of small doses in our diet. That's interesting. So it's almost like um, making us more resilient. So a little bit with things like uh, resveratrol, for example, right? With these hormetic compounds, effectively the plants are producing are helping us, right? I, exactly. I'd love you to link to that. Is that is that a blog post? We can pop it in the show notes. Yeah, so it's a social post. So yeah, a social post. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's exactly right. When when a plant is actually um, under more stress when it's grown, it's been shown to produce more of these phytochemicals, mm. these plant chemicals, because they're kind of protective nutrients. So 
you know, that's, I guess, this really exciting area of research where the test tube studies, maybe, you know, some of them show they can be inflammatory, but also it can be quite anti-inflammatory in the right doses. And that's, I guess, uh, what Mother Nature kind of packaged them up quite perfectly to do. Yeah, very much so. And it's really consistent with what you see in the blue zones and like the Mediterranean exactly. and places like that, isn't it? So I was having actually a conversation with my wine merchant talking about, you know, like biodynamic and organic wines. And, you know, now there's a whole industry created around we must have dry farm wines because they're so much better for you. But actually in France, the only method of producing wine is by dry farming. And that has that natural resiliency. And I think if we kind of go back to how we were doing things, we sort of had, we knew what we were doing, we had it right. Exactly. I know there's all of this kind of scaremongering going on. Um, and often there's someone making extra money uh, that kind of stems from a lot of these, but yeah, blue zone. I mean, they are the perfect, um, group or populations to study kind of what's working. And actually one of the key principles that they have in common is actually including legumes in their diet. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as obviously the family component. And actually that's where, why I included that kind of that community feel in the diversity diet, because we see, you know, eating as a community. Community, um, and enjoying our food actually is something that a lot of like all of the people in the blue in the blue zones kind of have in common as well yeah definitely that that enjoyment and that social cohesion and connection so so important um before you go and you can tell everyone where they can find more about you because i know you're so active on social media have two brilliant books um can you tell me what i'm sure people want to know this what does a day in dr megan's life look like in terms of food like what do you what's your routine like how do you bring mindfulness to the day what do you wake up and eat can you talk us through it i'd I'd love to hear yeah so i mean i historically had a very kind of um mindful routine in the morning. So I would take my puppy to the park. Uh, we'd then come home. We'd both have a bit of a shot of kefir. We make that at home. Then I'd have my overnight fermented oats, um, as well as a coffee. And then all of that's kind of like an hour and then we'd get to work. Um, but then I had a baby and then I was like, Oh my God, my morning routine is completely out the door. Uh, so I still have my overnight fermented oats where I use my kefir and I make that. It literally takes five minutes the night before and, and I have the recipe in, in the first book. So I still religiously do that. Um, and I still religiously have my morning coffee. So, um, I am a big believer in, um, you know, enjoying the flavors that coffee have. And also they have some health benefits as well, unless you've got gut issues, in which case go the decaf version. Um, but they also have, you know, heaps of those polyphenols in it. So I'm, I, I do really enjoy coffee. Uh, and instead of going for that, you know, half an hour, really relaxing walk, um, as soon as I put Bob to sleep, then I just do a five minute body scan, um, to, you know, kind of reconnect and relax that gut brain axis. Um, and you know, my puppy just sits next to me. So a bit of a, a bit of a change in lifestyle. Um, I kind of yeah. look back and think, Oh my God, I can't believe I was recommending people spend you know 30 minutes doing mindfulness a day um to any new mothers and now you know i'm in the thick of it uh of course i think you know as babies get older you start to then be able to get more time back but i think it's all about being really real uh, and that Mm. actually asking anyone more than like five ten minutes in a day you know can just add stress to their life because everything else is so chaotic but it is important i think to take at least that five to ten minutes to do some sort of you know non-food related but just mindfulness um but then, yeah, food-wise, I think, um, what else would I have? I usually have a mixed handful of nuts in the morning. 
uh, then I'll for lunch, I'll have, um, usually have some sort of, uh, mixed salad with sourdough and whether it's like salmon or tuna on it or egg, something like that. Um, and always have live yogurt, uh, with all of that, um, lunch, it's that's lunch. Um, do you make your own live yogurt and cafe? Is that- uh, so no, I have a brand called bio in me. Um, so I guess I make my own in terms of, I developed that yogurt where it's got, um, over 700 billion bacteria in each and every pot, two of the world's most studied cultures of bacteria, BB12 and Lactobacillus rhamnus GG. Um, so I have that, that live yogurt. Historically, I did make my own yogurt because most yogurts do have a lot of fillers in it um, mm. and they don't necessarily have, you know, the, the bacteria that have shown health benefits. So no, now I use my BioMe yogurt. Um, I do still make my own kefir though. It's really easy to make. Um, and then, yeah, I probably have a piece of fruit in the RV, um, maybe some dark chocolate. And then for dinner, usually something like a stir fry um, where actually you can check that in the book. I've got these stir fry adventures where it's literally takes 10 minutes to make. It's on the same kind of building block principle where you get a mixed bag of veg, mixed grains, some sort of protein of choice. And then I've got five different types of, um, flavors that take like five minutes, like uh, Italian type flavor, a uh, satay um, type flavor, Indian type flavor, where you literally, whichever night of the week it is, you just add that flavor to it. Um, and that's just, you know, those sorts of meals where you really don't have time or energy, but you want to feed your bacteria and you taste buds. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Cause you've got the, um, the family section, the busy person section, and then the gut sensitive section. And for me, do you know, when I, when my kids were young, I've got three of them, they, uh, my morning routine, like literally went out of the window. Thankfully got it back now, but just how life changes now they're at the age where they're just not going to bed at the same time. So my husband and I have just lost our evenings, you know, so it's just, it's always the struggling act, isn't it? That's the thing. (gasps) Ray, I I take my hat off to you. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's a, it's an exciting journey, obviously. They're they're incredible, but um, yeah, life yeah. changes, doesn't it? <laughs> it does dramatically. <laughs> um, one last thing, you mentioned coffee there, and I just think uh, people are definitely going to be interested in this because I'm a big proponent of coffee as well because of the antioxidants. What are your thoughts? Because this is another quasi marketing thing around coffee and mold. What are your thoughts in terms of the the real exposure of coffee to mold, and how much people need to be worrying about that and the health of their their gut and their body? Yeah, look, I think that is kind of one of those scaremongering types of um, claims out there. If we look again at the human studies, um, they've shown observational studies. So people who have a couple of coffees a day actually seem to have better gut health um, than those who don't have coffee. So that would be very much suggestive that actually, you know, having coffee uh is completely fine. You don't need to worry about that mold component. I mean, if you're getting it from a very dodgy place, um, when you can physically see the mold growing on top of it, then, okay, definitely look at where you're sourcing it from. But if you're going with a reputable brand and you know where it's sourced from, uh, I would not worry at all. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Thank you. And, um, so where can people find you? Cause your books are fantastic. I know you're really active on social media, please link cause listeners are going to want to come and find you and also try out these incredible recipes as well. So I'm at the gut health doctor. So, uh, whether that's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and then the website is just the gut health doctor.com. Nice and easy. And yes, please provide us with that post or I'll, my team will go and find it out from your social media so everyone can learn all about lectins and yes. and more about this because I think you're you're absolutely brilliant at really uncovering the facts and just kind of getting to the grit of the issue. So thank you so much and thanks for your time today and coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. 
Absolutely. No, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, the show notes will be over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast, and you can download the transcript there together with the show notes and all of the other resources that I have on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.